now, our feature presentation. They say that some of us can still remember The year in which Father Whiskey died Under the hill of one who was astounded When he took a hey ball everyone, welcome to another episode of the Fortisound Archive Podcast I'm your host, Jeff Kaiser. You'll notice if you are a longtime Florida Sound Archive listener that I have a return guest, not a one-time, not a two-time, but a three-time returning guest, <laughs> Oscar Herrera. Welcome in, my friend. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me on such short notice, too. Proud <laughs> well, to be number th- been number three. <laughs> yes. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast again, but this is for a very special reason because you are putting out your first solo album. Right. Correct. Right. And I, I, I wanted to use this format, your program, to to talk about it and promote it because it seems you know we all, all, all us guys that come on these shows and and ladies we talk about our musical past and things that we've gone to you know all the like I said, the archives. So this one, I think, is looking backwards and looking forward at the same time. Yes. And this is a new album called Songs for the Fallen Mountain King. So yeah. I am, I imagine this has been something that you have had on your mind for some time. Actually, in 2017, when we did the Miami Punk Rock School that Richard Shelter put together, that reunion with Flynn's and Cameo and all that, um, John Tovar, uh, who was alive at, at the time, and I had spoken about doing this record uh, because he was looking for what he would he call, I guess, um, legacy artist, local legacy artist. And he wanted to put out an album. He had always wanted to do something with me because I worked with him at different stages with different bands all through my musical career. And so we had talked about doing this. And back then, the 10 songs that are on this record are the 10 songs that I wanted to do. He had a financial backer. But financial backer had some health issues. I think had a heart attack. The whole thing fell through. And then, of course, John passed away last year. And then I retired from regular work in late April of last year. And I had been retired from music for 20 years. And I said, now's the time to do this. And so I threw myself back into it. I've been working on it since May of last year. And it's finally done. 20 years is a long time to be away. So anything that you did to help get yourself ready to get back in the game? Uh, just throw myself into it. Uh, the advantage now, which I wish I had had back then, like with the sleep of reason and halo is, is social media, everything you can do with computers, how fast you can do this recording. Had we done this the old fashioned way back in the day, this recording would have cost me thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, just being in a studio, but we weren't in a studio. It was all done digitally computer. Most of it, you know, the instruments were live, but the recording was done digitally at a house, something we couldn't have done way back when. And for those checking this episode out who may not be as familiar with you and your history, uh-huh. can you give them a quick history lesson as to uh, some of the bands you played in over the years and your contributions to music in Florida? Yeah, in the early to mid 80s, I was in a band called The Sleep of Reason. I guess now people would call it goth. We didn't call it goth back then, but it was post-rock, very Bauhaus-y, Curie. We had a very good following for about two or three years. We used to play all the local clubs, including Flynn's on the Beach. Uh, that band broke up in 85. Later, 97, there was a, a Project Records out, out of there in New York now. Um, no, actually in Portland. Uh, released a, a live version of The Sleep of Reasons, uh, studio songs and then live songs. Later on in the 90s, I had a band called Halo that was a local rock band. 
Um, all original, every band I've ever been with has been original. And then in the mid to late nineties, it was El Duende, which was a Latin rock band. Uh, and then I gave it up for good in 2002. I had been doing that for like 20 years and gave it up for good. And, you know, I raised kids, which I had been doing all along. Now I'm a three time grandfather. And so now grandpa's ready to rock again. <laughs> and you also did a lot of repairing of vintage stereo and audio. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a, a business called Spinali Radios and Phonograph, restoring phonographs and records, vintage tube phonographs and radios and wind up record players, that kind of thing. So I've been doing that a lot since 2008. And there happens to be a vintage phonograph on the album art for the new right. record. One of my pieces from my I house. was going to ask. <laughs> I was thinking that it could be from your private collection. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's from it's a Edison from 1907. Yeah. And it works in perfect condition. Very cool. Awesome. So it wasn't just a prop. It actually does work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I could forget. I was also a member of Black Tape for a Blue Girl. So I was for, since the foundation of Black Tape, the first album come, it came out in 86 to I think like about 2002, I was the main male singer. Uh, and then there were different female singers. My daughter and I actually did an album together in 2016. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a big part of my musical career. And your daughter's also on your new album, right? Yeah, my, my daughter and my son, both of them. Wow. Yeah, family affair. Yeah. Like the <laughs> it is. So that I mean that's fantastic. And we're gonna get into each of the songs from the album. This is gonna be one of those episodes where we're gonna play clips from each of the tracks mm -hmm. and we're gonna talk about each of the songs and hope that you are able to share some stories and maybe some of the behind the music commentary that we look forward to when we have a episode like this, which, by the way, these episodes are kind of far in between on the podcast. So when they're here, enjoy yeah. them, because usually we do straight interviews and what have you. So this should be a lot of fun. You know, what is the the general theme of this record? OK, um, I actually, if you don't mind, I have a mock up for one day when it's on vinyl of what what is, what I'm hoping it looks like. So that, that's the front. And these are tarot cards representing each one of the songs. And then there's there's a booklet that comes inside with the lyrics. So these these songs represent pretty much uh, my songwriting career for like 30 or 40 years. I mean, a lot of them go way back. The oldest one I probably wrote when I was 18. Many of them have been done by uh, several of my bands. Um, so that's the part about looking back that some of them have been recorded by some of my bands like Halo uh, and their new versions of those songs. But themes that come up a lot are struggles between, I guess, the holy and the evil and, you know, the struggle between the dark and the light, things like that. Certain, you know, that theme seems to come up a lot. It's something that I'm very interested. Also, mythology is something that comes up a lot, Greek mythology especially. Uh, the church, you know, the struggle with the church. So even though it's not a concept album, there are certain concepts that come out and they give a mood. Um, the type of record that I've always enjoyed uh, growing up were albums that you felt that you had traveled throughout an album that you felt like you had visited different places because they have different sounds for example night at the opera by queen captain fantastic by elton john the white album by the beatles that takes you on a journey you know you feel like you've gone through through a journey so that that was the main thrust thrust of this record and then it brings in all pretty much every music i like there's bits of classical there's bits of jazz there's bits of glitter there's there's rock there's a uh, flamenco it's just a hodgepodge but all 
with a theme running through it. Right. And I did get that vibe as I was listening to it. Every song seemed to connect with mm -hmm. the other song, almost like this storybook unfolding. And, right. you know, it's one of those albums that you kind of had to listen to all the way through, you know, because they all it's like this whole story that it's kind of telling you. And right. let's talk a little bit about some of the people that were behind the making of this record because there were a lot of people that were involved and i love yes. that i love that a lot of them uh were homegrown from south florida from miami right, right. what have you but then yep. you have others that might have been from outside of florida so tell us who was behind the making of this album the main musical architect for this record was my friend george george berkowitz who was the drummer and co-producer and engineer we recorded all the basic tracks at his home he was the drummer in my band El Duende, which we were together till 2002. So he's really the the manic genius that was behind the putting together of this record. So this record has several members of of different bands that I've been in, people that I respect, and I've always said in every band that I that I'm in, if it weren't for these people, these songs would not sound the way they do because I'm not a total musician. I write songs, I write lyrics, and I write melodies and simple chords, and then the rest is fleshed out. So I basically have a skeleton. They put the flesh on it. The main bass player on the songs was Greg Greg Young, who was in The Sleep of Reason. So 40 years ago, and this is the first time we do an actual recording together, a studio recording, because the last thing we did together was live. And then Alex Sanchez is the main guitarist, electric guitarist, and he was a member of Halo. On two of the tracks is Joe Rodriguez, who was bass player for Halo. Uh, so that's the main band. Aside from that, we started using these two services called Sound Better and Fiverr, which you can hire musicians from anywhere around the world to play. So we have a, th a three-piece horn section from Buenos Aires, Argentina. We have a mandolin player from Buenos Aires. We have a flamenco guitarist from Medellin, California. We have a soul singer from Nashville. And this was all done with technology, something we couldn't, I've, some of these people I haven't even met. So it was a, a bringing together of old school musicians that I'm comfortable with and I admire, you know, they're all geniuses in their own right. And then musicians from outside. And then on two of the tracks, very talented strings, string quartet from the, from the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami. I mean, if I had to do this on stage, it'd be like 30 musicians on stage <laughs> to pull it off. It does kind of have almost like that big band kind of vibe because yeah. you hear all these instruments and they all have their own place in yeah. the music. So for the people that you had worked with a long time ago, your former mm -hmm. bandmates, what was their reaction when you came knocking to do this? Yeah, pretty much it was it's about time. <laughs> George, George, especially throughout the years, would call me, hey, I have this band. Hey. I have this cover band. I was like, no, I don't do cover bands. Hey, are you going to play music again? No, I'm done. That's it. I'm not doing it anymore. That's it. I'm finished. So it was, it, I think he was very happy about it. And then, you know, getting together with Alex, who had played guitar in Halo, it was like we had just gotten together the day before, you know, like no time had passed. And same with Greg. Um, last time I had seen Greg was for the, the reunion uh, at, at Churchill's in 2017 for the Sweeper Reason reunion. But he's a bass player, a musician I've always respected. And I, he was always... If, when I do a record, he's going to be the bass, the bass player. So, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was very comfortable and, you know, a lot of laughing, <laughs> a lot of fun times. When you got into the studio to record some of the music, was a lot of the local musicians there to be along there with you? Or how did they record their parts? The basic uh, acoustic guitar, scratch vocals and drums were done 
at once, and then we brought in everybody else little by little. And and George was the type of person that'll take a song and change it completely to what how it was done originally, and it and always comes out better than the way it was done originally, which you'll you'll see in some of the songs. But um, some of them, the the basis of what we had recorded before, for example, with Halo, that was the inspiration, and then we would take it from there and and take it to another level. But uh, all the basic tracks were done at George's house, and then. Other tracks were done either in Buenos Aires or Nashville or wherever the musician was from. That kind of reminds me a little bit of when you were doing your vocals for Black Tape for a Blue Girl, yeah. because a lot of times Sam would have musicians from all over and right. he would put it together. And right. when you listen to it, at least from an outsider's perspective, it all sounds like you were hanging out doing it together. Right, right. No, it's it's amazing that the songs came out sounding like we actually played them all together in the same room. What that was one of my fears. It's, you know, how is this going? How are we going to pull this off? But everybody, we had so much skill and so much talent with the musicians that it sounds like they've been playing together their whole life. Definitely. So I think we're getting close to playing some songs okay. off off the new album. So any last. Uh, any last bit of commentary before we get ready to start playing track one? Um, do you want to mention release date or leave that till later? Yeah, we can talk about the release date. Absolutely. And perhaps uh, what are some platforms that it could be available on? Okay, so it'll be released this Friday, March 1st, on all digital formats. Uh, Bandcamp, uh, Amazon, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Apple Music. Pandora, it's all it's going to be in all digital format, so you can stream it, you can buy it. Hopefully, you'll buy it because um, I you know, have to pay back. The, well, many of these musicians worked with me, and but you know it costs a lot <laughs> to get this together. But the main thing is to get the music out there. So even if you stream it on Spotify, I'll be happy, just as I know it's being played. Uh, my my dream is still to have it released in a physical format on vinyl. So this is the first step. Have you at all tossed around the idea of playing any live shows? with this record i would be very happy to play a live show if it was in the perfect situation and we could get it to sound the way it sounds on the record which is asking for a lot because i played live shows for 20 years and it's a lot of struggle and i'm never going to do that again not you know playing a club at three in the morning you know i'm too old and i've done that a lot so if somebody says hey i really love this record here's you know all this money get all your musicians play at this place you know i'm backing it up fine but that's the only way or I do a coffee house set all by myself with, a, with an acoustic guitar. Yeah, something like that could be more yeah. like a scaled down version. But I would imagine, you know, taking that many people out to a, a place to play would be a pretty big undertaking. Yeah, it would have to be like a big one-time show, not something right. be, you know, doing coffee houses or small clubs in Miami. Exactly. Uh, I did really like the fact that when you flash the, the mock-up of what it could look mm -hmm. like on vinyl, uh, it looks pretty snazzy so uh yeah i mean that was my first thing is i'm a graphic designer so i was able to design it and the photographs were taken by very good friends of mine uh uh tracy and martin they have their own photo company uh, i met them a few years ago and they're brilliant lovely people and they're the ones that took all the photos were there any outtakes from the pictures that didn't make the cut oh yeah 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 we spent maybe two hours taking photographs there's a lot of photographs so i'll be releasing them little by little you know but yeah there's a lot of photographs how did you enjoy kind of wearing the outfit that you had and kind of getting into that, into that character or, or, you know, and how much of that was a character and how much is that is just a view? 
It's a bit, a little bit of both, and I enjoyed it because I've always liked dressing up, and I've always been in all the bands I was in. I was always always theatrical, uh, for, with Halo especially. I used to do costume changes and hat changes, and depending on what the song was, so it was it was a natural to do it this way. And I've always admired bands that are theatrical. And later on, I mean, after I designed it and after I photographed it, I realized that this cover actually references two classic album covers, which I'm not going to mention who. who what they are. So if anybody out there can can guess which two classic album covers this references, I don't know what you're going to win, but I'd, I'd be impressed. <laughs> Just your undying gratitude. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> i got to look at it again because I it didn't dawn on me to even consider if any other albums came to mind, but I'll have to look at it again. No, I, I wasn't even thinking about it when it happened. Then after a while, I was like, oh, that must be subliminal. It came out. And now I, I noticed two classic album covers this references. Exciting stuff. Again, the album release, it'll be put out digitally, uh, available for sale on Bandcamp on March the 1st, 2024. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right, Oscar, I think it's time okay, to play some music off of the new album. There okay. are 10 total tracks mm -hmm. on the album, and there are some remix songs as well. That we, that we aren't going to play during this session, but we will talk about them a little bit because okay. they are also pretty good in their own right. So uh, we're going to go ahead and play the, the 10 album tracks in this episode. So we are going to go ahead and play the first track here. And this track, the title is Blood on the Moon. the first track blood on the moon oscar the first track helps to really set the tone for yeah. what listeners are perhaps going to be getting into so talk about that first track why was that the first song because it's so it has such an epic opening and i i i always think visually um so if, if, for example if we ever take this live this is a great opening song you know have you know, visions of planets and the moon and fog. And so, you know, very theatrical. And it's a good opening song, especially with that riff. So the drummer, of course, is George. He's a drummer and percussionist on all the tracks. The guitarist is Alex, who was in Halo. And that song was actually co-written with Alex and with Joe Rodriguez, who was the bass player in Halo. That was a staple of our set towards the end. We never got to record it live. We did record a very rough demo, which was the basis for 
this version. The strings um, are done by Thomas Jumino, who used to go by Thomas Anthony, Tom Anthony. And anybody who recorded or played down here in South Florida know who he was. He had a, a recording studio called Natural Sound Studio. Uh, so he was very involved with re this process, this recording too. So those brilliant strings and the actual playing them on their sample strings was done by him. Uh, you know, so it, it all comes back, you know, 30 years ago. And we recorded his, uh, both the Halo albums were recorded at, at his studio. So the, and then, as I said before, each, each song is represented by a tarot card. So that's blood on the moon right here. And that's, that's actually an image of my daughter. And if, if we get this made, there are going to be tarot cards on the inside you can punch out with part of the lyrics on the back. So that's blood on the moon right there. I mean, that is very, very intricate. I love it. Yeah. So wanted to kick off with a bang, something epic and theatrical. It is. <laughs> it, it really sets the tone. And I, I, when I was listening to it the first time, it felt like, you know, again, like the adventure was about to begin. Like you kind of got good. that, you got that vibe. I got that vibe. I hope everyone else who listens to the new album uh, gets that same feeling or whatever feeling that works for them. Uh, yeah. That, that yeah. That's is, what we're trying like, to achieve to, that you start listening and say, okay, we're in for something here. Let's, <laughs> this is cool. Let's see what happens. Exactly. Very cool. So we're going to go on to the next track here. And okay. this is track number two. And this track is titled Low. L no, no, not L. -O. Oh, I O. I O. I O. Not low, like low and behold. I O, like, like the, one of the moons of Jupiter. <laughs> I think sometimes when certain text is out, L's and I's can look similar. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. okay. Yeah, it comes from Greek mythology, one of the moons of Jupiter. I'll explain a little after. <laughs> Here we go. I.O. a clip from io talk about io and the behind the music on that track okay io was a song that was on halo's debut album picasso trigger is dead originally there were no horns on it so that opening horn solo was originally played by our guitarist at the time vander Cados, who was this brilliant guitarist from brazil he played that melody and i wanted to keep that melody but i wanted it with a different flavor so we had the saxophonist play that melody. The saxophonist, by the way, his name is Richard Rosales, and he comes up a few times on this album. Our drummer, George, discovered him busking in front of a Publix for money. <laughs> this is what he does. And, he, and, he, and George says, you've got to hear this guy. We've got to put him on the record. So we brought him in, and he ended up being the main saxophone player on, on several of the songs. The horn section was arranged by uh, Doug Leibinger, who was a member of FOC, a local band in the 90s. We shared the stage a couple of times with Halo. And he did the original horn arrangement for King of Fright. 
I tracked him down. He's now living in California, uh, playing music and teaching. So he did the horn arrangements on four of the songs. So we gave it a whole different flavor with the horns, but always honoring Vonder's original guitar line. The song itself is about Io, Hades, or Jupiter, who was the god of the the main chief god of Greek mythology had a thing for young human girls and his wife Hera was always getting jealous. And one of them was Io. And the way that he hid her from, from his wife was to turn into a, a cow, you know, that <laughs> into a beast, a lovely beast. And so that's why the, the moons of Jupiter, uh, several of them are named after these women. Europa is one of them. Io is another one. So this, this song is basically about obsession, about, uh, this mythology of, of love lost and being left, you know, among the bones of this relationship. Uh, the, the tarot card for that is right there, Io. So you can see this is from the point of view of Io looking towards Jupiter and there's the ocean. How long did it take you to put each of those tarot cards together? Over several weeks. I, I illustrated them. So I had to draw them little by little. Finding references, you know, it was an, that's the other thing. This project got me back into art because I used to, I used to paint and draw all the time and I hadn't in very long. So it brought that back too. I remember when we did our first episode, what, two years ago or however long mm -hmm. ago that was, I remember you talking about the art piece. And I was wondering that how long it had been until, you know, before you got back into art. So would you say that the art and the music was about around the same time? Yeah, I mean, I did work in graphic design and advertising agencies, but that's, a, that's not the same thing. That's putting designing pages and logos and things, but actual art, probably around, yeah, around the same same amount of time. So it's brought back both worlds. Yeah. Well, it's great. So very cool. So uh, one of the songs that you mentioned just a short bit ago was King of Fright, and that's the next track. That is King of Fright, track number three. Yeah, this song was also on Halo's debut, Picasso Trigger is Dead. Same horn arrangement that was done by Doug Leibinger, who I mentioned before. At that time, he did the arrangement for us for the price of pizza. We, we came into the studio and the three horn players, <laughs> we bought them pizza and that's all they asked for. Um, so that's when I approached him this time and said, hey, remember that horn arrangement you did way back in 93? Do you still have that? And he sent it to me, the actual score. And then he arranged uh, three other songs. Uh, and then the saxophone solo, which we didn't get to there, but that was done by the same Richard Rosales. And the soul singer here at the beginning, I found her through Sound Better. She lives in Nashville, Tennessee, Tamika Tayan. She was fantastic. I mean, she, I sent this out and when she sent it back with her vocals on, it was like goosebumps. It's like, God, this is what I've been looking for. <laughs> so my, my aim with this album is when you start hearing it at the beginning, the last thing you're going to think is you're going to hear her at any point on this album because it doesn't sound like that kind of album until it comes up to this song and suddenly, hey, this is kind of soulful. And who is that? You know? <laughs> it's something unexpected, you know? It's a good track. And I do like the fact that it's got that soulful vibe to it. So, Thank you. Uh, yeah, very cool. So 
as we kind of move forward, we're going to check out track number four. Now, track number four was the first track that has been released as the single, right? That one is the one available on on Bandcamp. Right, it's on Bandcamp. It also has a music video, and this is the track Father Whiskey. Can still remember the year in which Father Whiskey died under the heel of one who was astounded when he took a barmaid for his bride. The consequence was one which we shuddered. A knife and cup were all our memories. Just giving up the blade for the other, and it ran over to the whiskey dried. And it ran over All right, that is track four, Father Whiskey. Now, Oscar, you kind of blew my mind a little bit before we started this here when you told me that was a Sleep of Reason song that was never created, never recorded before. Correct. And it was, of course, not played that way because we didn't have a string section. But yeah, it was a Sleep of Reason song. It was written in 1982. Uh, actually was inspired by this. David Bowie, who put out this EP in 1982, sings Ball. So he he was the main, and it was by Bertolt Brecht, who also wrote uh, Three Penny Opera. So the Ballad of Ba is the first track on this. And back in 1982, I said, that is really cool. I want to write something like that. So that was kind of like the mood inspiration. So as you can hear, it's a very theatrical piece. Coming out of King of Fright, the last thing you expect is this kind of song to come up. Um, we have two other versions, which are bonus tracks. This particular version was arranged by Alex Lacamoide. Alex Lacamoide is the musical director of Hamilton and in the Heights, among other things, he's he's a brilliant musician. But back in 1993, when I had Halo and I was 33 years old, he was my 18 year old keyboard player <laughs> for for about a year. So I always wanted to do something with music with him. You know, I always felt like we, you know, we needed to do something. So he agreed to arrange this, and he did it brilliantly. The string players are from the Frost School of Music, University of Miami. The first violin is Rosie Wise. Second violin, Jacques Gadway. Viola is uh, Taylor Shea and then Benjamin Whitman on cello. And then we also have Adam Lord playing bass clarinet. It's just a bunch of musicians. We have a, an accordionist from, from Brooklyn. We have uh, a local guy, Aaron Lebel, who played acoustic guitar. And then Alex, my friend on electric guitar, you know, doing the solo. And my daughter playing the part of the barmaid. So... She didn't even exist when the song was written. <laughs> and so the video you're talking about is uh, our contribution for the Tiny Desk concert, which happens every year. And there people are sending in submissions. So this is our submission. So if you want to see it, go to Oscar Herrera Music at YouTube. And you'll see we filmed that last week in my living room. Talk about the making of the video real quick, because, yes, to your point, it was filmed in your living room. So how did you get prepared to have all of these musicians in there at one time to record this? We moved a lot of furniture. I got up real early in the morning, brought in equipment. (laughs) There was a lot of stuff to move out of the way. It was four takes. We did it in four takes. Uh, So, so, you know, they're brilliant. They they read, you know, they're from the School of Music, so they read music. It's like like that we and then for the video i greg who was a sleeper reason bass player who is not on the actual recording i got him to play in the video and it, which came out really well uh and then of course alex played the lead guitar and then my daughter and i we did the, the main vocals 
So it's been getting a lot of a got a lot of play, and we'll see what happens. If we win, we go to Washington and do a di- tiny desk concert. <laughs> okay, well, we'll certainly hope that happens. And do you remember how long it has been since the last time you actually recorded a music video? Actual music video? The only time I actually did a music video was with a sleeper reason. So, nineteen eighty four, eighty five. All the other videos, I mean, all the other videos we have are either television appearances or videos from live performances that I edited together. But an actual video done as a video, that was the sleeper reason, 1985. So it's been a wow. while. <laughs> yeah, that that goes back even further than just a 20-year hiatus from music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. On, my, on my YouTube channel, the very first video is the sleeper reason shelters are melting video with Greg on bass. So he spans both videos from that first one to the latest one. He's, he was on both of those videos. So that's pretty cool. Cool video. Hopefully you win. And uh, this song, again, it, uh, is available for you to check out on Oscars Bandcamp and on YouTube, you said as well, right? Yeah. If you search Father Whiskey, it's the only thing called Father Whiskey. So you'll be able to find it. There you go. All right. Very good. So we're going to move on and talk about track number five, Final Sound. our clip of final sound oscar tell us about the behind the music of that track this song is actually a sleep of reason song it was a regular part of our set at that time we had laura on violin so she played more or less the that melody that you hear on violin but we used to play that regularly we first started playing that song we were on tour in the northeast and we were staying at greg's aunt's house in rhode island and we were sleeping in the basement. We were just playing in the basement and we had that music going on. So for the longest time, it was called the Rhode Island song, the Rhode Island song, until I came up with the lyrics for it. The lyrics are it's basically post-apocalyptic lyrics, very cheery stuff. <laughs> but it was always a favorite of mine and a favorite of the groups. I did a an acoustic version as a demo with Sam. It was like a bonus track at one of the recording sessions for one of the, the Black Tape albums. I think he may have issued it or as a bonus track at some point but it's been there forever and i've always wanted to record it and we finally got to record it the same string section from um is on there the guy playing a mandolin his name is nicholas sokolek found him through fiverr he's in buenos aires sent him the track sent us back that brilliant piece that he's playing with a video of him performing it's just very very cool the stuff you can do with with those services so the song finally has seen the light of day <laughs> it's taken a long time buddy there it yeah, is. and on, on vinyl, this would be end of side one. So now you flip it over and you go on to the next side. <laughs> I like that. I got that all figured out. So this is the point where you get up and grab your beer and turn the record over. <laughs> turn the record over. Exactly. Very yeah. cool. We have track number six, and that's Hell Before Sunrise. So that's the next track we are going to check out.
before sunrise oscar tell us that's kind of one of the more like mellow tracks on the album i feel like yeah yeah the theme isn't very mellow but the the vibe is it's very raymond chandler meets the devil or something or kind of vegasy especially when it builds up towards the end that was also a halo track on picasso trigger is dead i don't think i should so this would have been the tarot card for a king of fright and then that's for father whiskey and then this is Hell Before Sunrise right here. So that deals with the this uh, devilish persona showing up in, in the room and saying, you know, when they come looking for me, I'll be gone. I'll, and I'll, all I'm going to leave, leave is a dust on your bed. But it builds up into a very Vegas-y kind of slick, like, you know, the devil is like a slick huckster. And there's a brilliant saxophone solo by Richard Rosales in the, in the middle, too. Um on this track, Joe, the original bass player, plays again on this, you know, because I wanted to have that same flavor that that he gave it. Uh, I always loved I always loved his bass line, so we brought him back for this one song. It's like the last thing he thought is that he was going to be recording this 30 years later, but the result was is very good. I'm very happy with it. The next track we're going to be listening to, Oscar, The Great Addiction. So let's go ahead and give that a play. That's a clip from The Great Addiction. Sorry, I would love to play more, but then we're going to stop it right there. So I'm thinking maybe for me, this song, when it kicks in, feels like it has maybe the most maybe rock vibe to it. Yeah, this song, I was part of Halo's set towards the end of or when we were together. It was done as a blues, very bluesy number. Um, but then George completely changed it. And so he came up with that brilliant drum pattern and the, and the rhythm that the vocals on that, which we didn't hear right now, but the vocals on that were done not on the professional recording mic that we did everything else, but on a demo mic that we were using. And I was just laying down demo vocals and the demo vocals that I laid down, that was one take. And we said, we're not touching it. That's it. We're keeping that. And I did two different vocals slightly off from each other, which gives it a, a, a kind of strange addicting effect. And we say that we're leaving it like that. So that was a first take track, which I've never done in any song ever, <laughs> but it just came out so close that, you know, I'm never going to be able to repeat this. So let's just keep it the way it is. Glad you had a chance to shed some light on that one there. So uh, for those that I haven't, that uh, will hear that song, hopefully soon, you'll get a chance to hear it in all of its full glory, as well as every other song we've listened to. And of course, the ones that are going to follow, because we are at track number eight now. Uh, and we have uh, Flores para los Muretos. I I did not do well in Spanish in high school, my friend. So uh, tell us, how is it supposed to be said? Flores para los muertos. Flowers for the dead. So let's go ahead and get ready to play track number eight. <laughs> 
right. That is track number eight, Flores para los muertos. All right, Oscar, tell us about that track. That song was co-written with a very good friend of mine, uh, Steve Sneedon. He wrote the lyrics. We wrote that song like 1989, 1990, something like that. If you go on my YouTube channel, we actually played it live on WLRN, the local uh, radio station down here, local national public radio station, the two of us acoustically, just him and me. Um, so I brought him in. That's the other voice you hear on that recording. We never recorded this, was never recorded with any band, didn't belong to any band, just him and me doing this song. And it's based on a very minor character and streetcar named Desire, this older woman who goes door to door selling flowers, flores para los muertos, flores, you know, coming up to the door. So it's basically, he turned it into this young blind girl walking through the streets of New Orleans. So it's very evocative. The trumpet you hear is by Sergio Wagner, who played trumpet on the other horns. And the piano is a friend of uh, of George's called uh, Juan Estrada. And of course, Greg on bass and George on drums. And it's probably the mellowest song. So it's right in the center of side two, kind of dividing the moods. And I imagine you had other songs you could have, con you may have considered or perhaps could have chosen from because you were looking back on songs that you had recorded many years ago. So right. how exactly did you decide on which of these songs you wanted to bring to life on this album? Songs, uh, in the case of songs like uh, Father Whiskey and Final Son, those are songs that I always loved, two of my favorites that I've written and had never got recorded. I said, okay, now's the time. Now we have to do this. This is the time. And then the other songs, the ones that had been recorded before, or in the case of Blood and the Moon, that had never been recorded but thematically, I wanted songs that fit together, move from one thing to the other, that even though they were very separate sonically, are related by themes, you know, and fit together on a record. So it was always it was always going to be these 10. Since 2017, these are the 10 songs that I always had in mind. I mean, there are other ones. Uh, I just don't think they would have fit in here. Did you at all make any changes to any of the lyrics prior to recording them for this album. In the last one, The Hunting Ground, I added a few little lyrics just because I was always, there was an awkward part that I, I was never happy with that I tried to stretch too many syllables so I actually <laughs> put it the way it was supposed to be. But that, that's it. And the lyrics themselves didn't change. I just stuck in some, some syllables. But uh, other than that, no, it's always been the same lyrics. And all the themes feel somewhat timeless in a way. So I imagine that in, it, they don't necessarily perhaps reflect like maybe what you were going through per se or anything like that, but perhaps more just things you may have been reading or things you may have been watching. Is that kind of where a lot of these yeah, themes yeah. were drawn from? Yeah, I rarely write from personal experience. I write from things that interest me and moods and the point of view of a persona, either dealing with with uh, the confusion of, you know, of, of faith and dealing with things that he's been handed and doesn't want to deal with and uh, that kind of thing. I like darker themes. Death comes up a lot, which is kind of creepy, I guess, but what can I do? I don't know. <laughs> Huertos. Huertos. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into our next track here. Track number nine, When I'm Called Divine. Uh, our next track, which I first heard when I heard uh, the live cut from The Sleep of Reason. So here we go. Track number nine.
right, that is track nine, When I'm Called Divine. Moving through these songs so quickly, I failed to mention that uh, my daughter Danielle also sang back up on Io, and my son Adrian sang back up on Hell Before Sunrise, and he sings back up on this song, When I'm Called Divine. So this song is an old Sleep of Reason song. It was part of our set, a regular part of our set. You can hear a live version of it from a show we did in 1984 in, in uh, Cocoa Beach on Spotify. Uh, but we never recorded it in a studio. So this is the most Sleep of Reason song of the whole album. I had Doug arrange some horns for it and we put the horns on and it was just it just wasn't working. So we took took the horns back out and it's probably the most basic as far as a rock song, basic rock band, no flourishes, bass guitar and drums um, and acoustic guitar and Adrian and, and me singing. So uh, what that's one of the things I'm happy about this album is I have both of my kids on it, which is kind of cool. And when I'm called divine, this song is one of the things that I was mentioning. Uh, it's taken from the point of view of either a, a prophet or a savior, and he's telling his subjects, uh, you know, don't believe everything that I'm telling you. Uh, you know, I've I've seen the other side, and you know, uh, but I I falter like you do. So you know, I don't want to be called divine. I I want to give up these vows that you know I don't want to be in this position anymore. Kind of heavy stuff for rock, but there you go. <laughs> How did you decide which songs your son and daughter performed on? On IO, the original backup singer was Alex Hernandez, who was our drummer in Halo, and he had a very high voice. And I didn't know any male who could put it off like he did. So I actually had my daughter do it, and she pulled it off in his range. It was funny because when I did a demo of it, I had George slow down the song so I can sing the part that she was going to sing and then speed it up. And then when we sped it up, my pitched high voice sounded like her, which was really weird. <laughs> so she, I sounded like a female her when my voice was pitched up. So that's what she used to, to work off of. And then the other songs always had male, the songs that Adrian, my son, sang on always had male backup. And he did a brilliant job on, on them, um, on Hell Before Sunrise, The Hunting Ground, and When I'm Called Divine. And he also sang uh, some of the choir stuff on some of the extra tracks. So we have uh, one track left to go, The Hunting Ground. You ready, Oscar, to do it? I'm ready. Let's do it. Sorry, friends, but we're going to go ahead and stop it right there. I was just getting ready to kick in and all that. Yeah, yeah. Keep them <laughs> wanting more just when you want to hear there it. There you I go. Listen to it. <laughs> now, for me, I feel like that song, at least the way it opens up, is the most cinematic. At least that's my perception. So talk Virgil about Leone or Robert Rodriguez, Western. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was that some of the behind the concept or theme of that song? Uh, we originally recorded that with Halo, 
Um, that was in um, also the debut Picasso Triggers did, and already had that flavor, very Spanish and flamenco. And here we took it to the next level. So we really went for it. The the brilliant flamenco guitar on that is played by uh, Santiago Sanchez, who's from Medellin, Colombia. I've never met him. It was also through the same service, Fiverr.com. He's an incredible guitarist. And then the Spaghetti Western guitar was by Alex. So we combined those two things to give it give it that mood. Um, uh, George came up with some brilliant percussion on, especially in the breakdown in the middle. He played all the drums and all the percussion on this record. Um, and then uh, George, I mean, Greg played the bass on it and my son Adrian sang backup. So this is, I thought it was a perfect closing song. This is, have I been showing the tarot card? So I forgot. So that's the hunting ground. And this is when I'm called divine stained glass window. <laughs> and that's Flores para los muertos. Very cool. The, the insert with all the tarot cards. And again, that last track, uh, very cinematic at any point when you were getting the different parts to put everything all together for this album at any point, did anything come your way where you were kind of thinking like, well, that's, kind of not what I was going for. And maybe you asked for the part to be redone. Anything like that come up in the making of this album? Uh, when it's funny. Cause when in the bonus songs, we have another, another mix of, of a uh, final sound where it has no drums, no bass and no bells. It's just a string string quartet, basically an acoustic guitar and some electric guitar. Uh, and then we have two other versions of father whiskey. So one version is the one that George originally worked on, which initially I was kind of skeptical about because it, it almost sounded reggae-ish and he was going for a, like a New Orleans second line version and we did horns and put horns on it and now it's brilliant. It sounds really great. So at first I was pushing back against it. Now I absolutely love that arrangement. Um, so you have to, you're going to have to get the, the whole recording. If you got on Bandcamp, you have to fly the full album to get the three bonus tracks. And then the last version of Father Whiskey was done with Tom. He arranged it in the way that I originally heard it in my mind, which is very, very much like a musical bombastic with marching drums and timpani and horns and strings and everything. So it was actually, you know, three versions of Father Whiskey. But the only pushback would have been that one version. And then in, ended up George, you know, he's a he's very meticulous and and and, you know, fights for what he believes in. And eventually I gave in and that song the way it is now, it sounds great. The, the horn version, the second line version of Father Whiskey. I do like the fact that you included those as well. Again, maybe the vision was a little different at some points, but it kind of gives the listener the opportunity to kind of see maybe what that looked like on all sides. Right. So anything else going on in terms of in anticipation of the release or once it does come out, anything you have planned for the promotion of the album? Well, my hope is that with the release digitally and, you know, hopefully start getting some followers and listeners and the the video and getting, you know, people watching it, I do want to approach independent record companies to put this out on vinyl because that's that's my dream is to have the actual record. So the, the 10 songs is done like a classic album, 70s album, five songs on each side in about 40 to 50 minutes, you know, in and out, done. And, you know, you've traveled through this whole thing. So I want to keep, try to keep it to that format. Uh, so that's really the next thing. And then we'll see what happens after that. I mean, we just started the year, so anything could happen. Right. <laughs> the last thing I thought a year ago is that I would have a, you know, a, a record, an album right now. So I know. Cause when we talked way back when, and I asked you that question, 
you really had no intentions or plans to do anything. I was like, Oh no, I'm never going to do music again. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. But this, this album has been a miracle, one miracle after another one, George being the first one. I mean, the amount of time that he's put on this record, if I had to pay for it, you know, it would have been thousands upon thousands because he spent long nights editing and sampling and listening and, you know, arranging and doing several versions and sending me MP3s. What do you think of this version? What do you think of this version? And look, I added a cowboy. So, okay, you added a cowboy and you added something else. And, added, and it all builds up into, you know, the brilliant way that the songs sound now. So um, a year ago, I didn't think I would be here doing this, but here we are. <laughs> here we are. And it's good to connect on it. So because this album draws from so many different themes, right, and different sounds and what have you, how would you describe the sound of this album? Because it's not like you could just say, well, this is a rock album. This right. is a pop album. This is a jazz album. I don't know. I had that problem when I was uploading it to Bandcamp that they ask you to put a category and I would go scroll through. I don't see my category. What is my category? Theatrical rock is the closest I could come to it. And that's not a category. So I had to kind of do sub genres. I did rock and then I did glitter rock and, and then I kind of put jazz rock, but it's not really that either. So it's, it's, it's that kind of thing that if you listen to, let's say, Father Whiskey first, you think, oh, it's going to be that kind of record. And then it's not. The rest of the record does not sound like that. Or you listen to King of Fry, oh, it's going to be this funky, jazzy horns and blah, 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 and soulful. Yeah, that one song, but the rest of it is not like that. So it's hard to pinpoint. So I guess album rock would be the best thing. You know? <laughs> so it's been great having you on to tell the story of your new album, uh, Songs for the Fallen Mountain King, which, by the way, I don't recall us even talking about the title of the record. And perhaps we can shed some light real quick on how did you land with that title? So when I did the album that came back with Sam in 2016 for Black Tape for Blue Girl, my voice had changed, gotten a little deeper and a little gravelier. You can especially hear it on Hell Before Sunrise. And my son said, you know, your voice kind of has like the sound of like a fallen mountain king kind of thing going. And I said, I love it. I love it. That's it. I love that title. So that's where it came from, <laughs> from that one little comment. Well, thank you, Adrian, for the album title. <laughs> there you go. So everything has a story behind it. If you think deep enough and can remember what it is, uh, yeah. I feel like there's always a story to tell. So very cool. So any last uh, plugs for the new record before we start wrapping things up? I just want people to hear it. That's it. You know, you can stream it. If you if all you do is stream it on Spotify, that's fine. I just want people to hear it. Um, I don't expect on getting rich and famous from it, but it would be nice to, you know, to have it out on vinyl. That's really what I'd like. So next Friday, it will be available on all formats. You can pre-order it right now on Bandcamp. You can get final, you can get it Father Whiskey right now as a download. Uh, and hopefully there'll be more to come in the future. And maybe next time I'll write something all new songs instead of songs I wrote when I was 18. <laughs> Well, you know, it's something to look forward to now that you're retired and you are back into music and art as well, right? So you got that going on for yourself. Hopefully uh, you will have something more in the future too. But right now we have some time to consume this album because it's uh, it's definitely uh, an adventure and a very cool journey to go and on. I, and I, I deeply, deeply want to thank you for having me on because I know I just communicated with you yesterday. And next thing I know, hey, let's do it tomorrow. It's like, okay, let's do it. So thanks, thanks for that. I really appreciate it.
Your body is humming Just when you're back 